Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm actually going to read a couple of verses from chapter 1 first. A couple of things about the Gospel of Matthew. If, if you've uh, hung around places like this much at all, you know a, a little bit about to whom the Gospel was written. Uh, each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had, have a specific audience. And Matthew's was, was most specific in that it was written to Jewish people, Jewish Christians. It, was, uh, it, 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 it wasn't the people who hadn't yet believed in Christ who were Jewish, but it was Jewish Christians. And um, that explains a wide variety of things because one of the big issues with Jewish Christians was we're, we know our book, we know our Old Testament, and we are those people. We are the people of God. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham and David, and we know that story really well, and we knew they knew all the laws, and, and what if any of it had changed? Well, yes, Jesus came and fulfilled that, and they, they saw a whole lot of that, but there's a whole lot of it that they didn't see, one of which was the big, big question, what about all these other people? Is, it, is the gospel just for us? And it was a huge thing. We, we can't imagine how difficult it was, and so much of it, of course, settled on the signs of inclusion in the covenant, which was circumcision, and that was big, big problem throughout much of the Old Testament. Well, can an uncircumcised person not what well, can can are they permanently out or do you have to be you have to ha- go through that ritual in order to be included um, big big question so one of the things that Matthew does is very strategically brings in Gentiles I want and I want to show you this and maybe you've, you've already become well aware of this but in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus who, who all these people were that from beginning with Abraham and then now up to Jesus the Christ, it's all men with four exceptions. In verse 3 we have Judah the father of Perez and Sarah whose mother was Tamar. Now if you know about Tamar, you know that she was a shady lady who seduced, she was not a, a, she was not Jewish. She was, was a soiled woman. She seduced her father in, actually was her father-in-law, Judah, in order to get a child by him. So she was a Gentile woman who seduced uh, Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, in order to get a child by him and thus sort of grab on to the promise of God. Uh, Verse 5, two more women are are, are mentioned. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was not Jewish. Rahab was a Canaanite. She lived in the city of Jericho. She was also a shady lady. She was a prostitute. So we have two soiled women who were not Jewish, who did not belong to the line. Um, 
little bit further on in verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not part of the family line. And Ruth, though not what we would call a soiled woman, she wasn't, she was um, aggressive. She, she climbed, she did, she climbed into Boaz's bed and slept at his foot. She, at the behest of her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. So she, she also grabbed on. She didn't have any right to be a part of the story, but she grabbed on to it. She was aggressive and she seized it. And then a little bit further on in verse 6, we have, uh, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Uriah was a Hittite. Most probably, uh, Bathsheba was also a Hittite, another soiled woman, an adulteress. Uh, we look at that story and say, well, really not her fault. David, he was king, and he said, her, I want her, and I'm going to have her by gum, and I, I'm going to murder her husband in order to have her. But she was sunbathing naked in, within the sight of the king. It's, it's problematic, to say the least. It wasn't modest, let's put it that way. So we have four women, all of whom, to one degree or another, were fallen women, soiled to one degree or another, certainly aggressive, assertive, not womanly, and definitely not Jewish. They are the only four women mentioned in Jesus's genealogy. These are the people from whom our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sprung. So Matthew's strategy in this is very, very clear. He wants these Jewish Christians to whom he was writing this book to understand this gospel isn't just about us and our tight little group here. The circumcised. The, the, the good people. Safe people, nice people. It's as big as you can think. It even includes even people like these women. Now we come to a real stretch for them in the story that we have in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem. In Judah, they said, Judea, they, they replied, for this is what the prophet, and this is the prophet Micah, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He said, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go. And make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, 
so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And then if you skip down to verse 16, there's that portion about um, Herod's rage and what he does, the, what we call the slaughter of the innocents. When Herod realized what, that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said throughout, through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more people of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I don't know what your sign is. I am guessing you're a Gemini. No? Libra. Gotta be. Gotta be. Gotta be Libra. You ever had that conversation? Uh, I bet everybody here knows their sign, just out of curiosity. You probably looked up in the paper sometime or the other and just sort of said, well, what's this all about? And I, myself, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Aries, but I'm a... <laughs> um, everybody, everybody... We don't take it seriously. There are, in the world, people who think it's science. The whole, the whole science, quote, of astrology, it's really a religion, but the religion of astrology is based on primitive uh, astronomy that believed that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything, that the heavens revolved around the earth. And so that you could then, because of some way, through revelation somehow, determine what was going to happen on the earth because of the way the, the heavens were arranged, because of how the stars circled the earth. We, of course, now with modern astronomy know that our bitty, bitty planet is, circles our bitty, bitty star, the sun, and is a bitty, bitty part, a remote little place in the relatively big, modest Milky Way, which is part of the vast, vast um, number of galaxies and universe of the universe in, in the heavens. So anyone who's thought about it at all knows that astrology is a bunch of nonsense, and anybody who believes in it and, and trusts it, for, for, of all things, is, is really a very foolish thing. But astrology is a very, very old religion. And along with many other ways of fortune-telling, it's a way to try to uh, predict the future. 
having, it's, it's based, as I say, on a ridiculous notion that the Earth is the center of the universe. At one time, we thought that. We also thought the Earth was flat, didn't we? And that the, the sun went around underneath, and then the moon came up, and, and that's how we thought that the sun and moon were sort of equal bodies. They both looked about the same size, and that was enough science for anybody, I guess. It's very, very strange, though, that the first Gentile converts, the first converts to Jesus as the Messiah, as is recorded in Matthew anyway, are these weird, weird magicians, magi. These people with this ridiculous religion. Now, in, in our manger scenes, we, we talk about the wise men, and we, we somehow have come to think of them as wise. If we really, if we knew what Matthew's first listeners thought, we, they, were, they were not wise at all. They were idolatrous, they were unwise, because they followed some ridiculous notion that somehow you could predict the future by the arrangement of stars in the sky. They were not wise at all. They were pagan, they were idolaters, they were uncircumcised. They were not a part of the group. They were not a part of us. It's incredibly ironic that Matthew chose them. And I, it's, it's a story that is, is in an account as inspired by the Holy Spirit. I have full confidence that these magi, these, these magicians, these astrologers came from a far land found a star that led them. I believe it's a true thing. But Matthew, various gospel writers, they, choose, they pick and choose. Luke chose shepherds to be the first ones. Matthew chose the Magi. Mark doesn't choose anybody. Mark has Jesus appearing as an adult. So the, the, the Luke and the shepherd, the Magi and Matthew are the two infancy narratives that we have, the two infancy stories. Who were they? Who were they, these wise men, these magi? One of the things that makes this incredible story, this, this magnificent story, and yet tragic story, this story about Herod's response. You know, when we have our manger scenes, our nativities, our crest scenes, we... We always have the magi. We have the and we have these these resplendent uh, characters in these big robes carrying their things, and they look they look they look wise. They look very smart. Oddly enough, and it's it's right. I think Herod does not appear in any of our manger scenes, but Matthew in this story here takes deliberate pains to show that both of these groups, Herod and his scholars, his biblical scholars, and the Magi and their gifts coming from, from a distant country are both a part of this story. I'm not in, in any kind of way suggesting that we should have uh, some you know, beastly Herod snarling off in the corner of our, of our Christmas, Christmas scenes, our nativity scenes. But the way the Bible presents it 
that very, very clearly is a part of the picture, one that we ignore and dismiss um, to our peril, truly, because we, we deny the most important thing about it, is that it's into this kind of world, this world filled with pagan superstition, this world filled with emperors and rulers who jealously and did not consider a little murder in any sort of a way an obstacle to holding on to power. It is into this kind of world that Jesus came. And dear friends in Christ, it is our world. We just have trembled in the last couple of weeks at something that has been compared happening in Christmas time, the, the Newtown massacre in Newtown, Connecticut. It's been called by, by many a commentator uh, and compared to what Hitler with, with what uh, Herod did, the slaughter of the innocents, the slaughter of innocent children. And and that it would come at Christmas time. I've heard that a lot of times. How could it possibly be at Christmas time? If it were in July, it would be awful, but but around Christmas time this nice peaceful time. Well, friends in Christ, Bethlehem was not a quiet little sleepy Bethlehem in this scene here. It wasn't, oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy dreams and, dream, and dreamless sleep, the silent, peaceful, silent night. Hope. It was bloody little town of Bethlehem in which Rachel was weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they had been, been seized and taken and slaughtered by the wicked and demonic Herod. Well, who were the Magi, first of all? We'll, we'll deal with them briefly and then briefly with Herod and, and then conclude. These people of a different race, of a different religion, people that the Bible in every other place where, magi where magic or magicians or magi or divination through the stars, divination through casting bones, uh, any sort of magic like that is spurned and, and shunned. Every time it's mentioned uh, in uh, back, uh, Acts chapter 8, Simon the magician is, is, a, is a bad person. He, he needs Jesus. He needs conversion. He needs, and he, he gets uh, his magic taken away from him. He tries to buy some of the magic of, of Peter. Um, uh, Elamus uh, Bar, 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 Bar Jonah of Acts chapter 13, the very same thing. He's a, he practices a, a weird superstitious art that the gospel of Jesus Christ stands in complete opposite of. In the Old Testament, um, we read in Ezekiel, the king of Babylon practices this stuff. He will stop at the fork of the road and consult. He throws arrows on the grounds and consults how, which, way, which of the directions in the fork of the road he should go. He, he kills an animal and cuts out its liver and looks at the liver and has his magician look at the liver to determine which way he should go. That's, that's, what, that's who these magi were. That's who Israel understood them to be. People who practiced that sort of art. In Isaiah chapter 47, verse 13, we read, The, the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward. Let them, these 
diviners, these stargazers who make predictions by the heavens, let them tell you what God's will is for you. They were looked at and looked down upon by Israel uh, as idolaters. They were they taught you you trusted this kind of foolishness. These were the least welcome guests. The point being, friends, that these were the people whom God called to join the party. He led them, very, very clearly led them through this miraculous star, being willing to stoop down to their level and talk to them in language that they believed they understood and brought them a special star and led them through the desert these couple of years and rested above the place where the Christ child lay. The invitation cannot be missed by us. And I think for us, the, the, the clear understanding is if, if there, we are nice people, we, we know our Bible, we, we know, there, there's a lot of things that we know and we understand. And it's important for us to understand this that the gospel isn't just for nice people. The gospel, and this is a clear indicator of it, was proclaimed and brought to the nations. And so if we spend a lot of our time disapproving of other people and the way they act, we're, we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking, how then, in view of this, can God stoop to them, perhaps through me, to minister to them, to draw them close God used a star. Perhaps God can use our non-judgmental word, our kindness, our goodness, our generosity. That's how God speaks today. He, he spoke through star talk to these magi. Today he speaks through his church. He speaks through his people. And he urges us, I believe, through this story, and through the stories of the, of the, of the, the ladies, the, the mothers, the grandmothers, the great-grandmothers of Jesus, and their inclusion, too. They were not nice people, none of them. On to one who was really not nice, Herod. It, it's, a, it's a story that we wish weren't in here because it, 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 it makes the peaceful, blessed family time, the things that we have come to understand about Christmas, it, it's this sour, awful final note to it. And we, we, we don't want it in there, and we wish it weren't. And oftentimes we ignore it and, and pretend uh, that, that it isn't there and refuse to teach our children about it. But it is, friends, a case in point of how wondrous the love of God is. That it is into this kind of world. Into this kind of world 
that he came. And we have to, I think, also recognize our, and it takes a stretch, I'll grant you that, but we're nice people and we don't want to consider in any kind of possible way that we might be similar to Herod. But when you strip away his power and you give it to us, if you can imagine yourself enjoying undisputed power, everyone else being terrified of you, when you had a sneeze, everyone jumped. And if you can imagine having killed three of your own children, that's what Herod did. Caesar once said about Herod, it's, you're better off being Herod's pig than you are Herod's son. Herod killed, this Herod killed three of his own sons because they were threatening. It was, it was not unlike Absalom and David. They were threatening Herod's position of power. We have to recognize, we, we do share fallen humanity with this man. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to say, there too but for the grace of God. I, and and the, the similarities to me, to you, I think, and someone who could be motivated by the, the darkest of selfishness, we have to recognize it. And then again be amazed that it is into this kind of world and for people such as we that Jesus came, that God sent his son into the world. Herod was a part of the story. Herod's scholars, they knew all about the Old Testament. They knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. They had, he had his scholars come, and they said, well, yeah, here it says Bethlehem, and so-and-so-and-so, and so and so, Ephrata, least among the tribe. Well, well, then he said, and then he, he ordered the Magi around. He wasn't afraid of those Magi. They, they were lowlifes. He said, go do this, and then come back and tell me. If they were rich and powerful and, and wonderful and wise, he would have, because he was a self-serving person, he would have been very much the, the host. But he, he orders them around. He says, you go and uh, tell me I'll, I'll come and worship him too. That's not how it was. And we need to recognize and do it with thanksgiving that Jesus came for people who are superstitious and strange and are motivated by the, the you know, things that go bump in the night, not unlike the Magi. He came for us. And he came for us who are selfish. And it's all about us. And when we see a rival, when there's somebody on the playground who we think may be wanting to steal one of our friends, how jealous, how really ugly we can become. We need to recognize this and not be, oh, well, those are old people, those were very, very weird people. No, they were people. And Matthew tells us these two stories. 
and he tells them to us so that we might stand amazed and be thankful that we have an answer in the Christ and be grateful for the faith that we have.